And it's because somebody else behind the scenes is at work. Somebody else behind the scenes is at work. Now, Christmas is such a time in which we think we know everything about the story of the birth of Jesus. And most of us can tell that story about the birth of Jesus. Can I tell you another story about Christmas? That we often overlook because it's more in the background than out in front. But it's there. And we want to see it. And some things that we learn from and apply to our lives, we really don't understand it. We don't understand the faithfulness of God. We don't understand how faithful God truly is to us. But more than that, simply this, how faithful he is to himself. How faithful he is to himself. In 1 Thessalonians 5.24, it, it tells us that God is the faithful, faithful God. And that He is the one who is constantly faithful. And he is the one who will carry out his word because that's who he is. And oftentimes we forget that he is that faithful one. And from him we learn how to be faithful. All because of him. So in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 24 it says, The one who called you is faithful. Sister Shirley simply demonstrates the faithfulness of God in her life. And as a Christian, we demonstrate the faithfulness of God in our life as we live and as we perform. It's not something that we do per se. But it is something that the God in whom we believe works and does through us. If we are obedient to him. If we are obedient to him. Because God is faithful. The one who calls. The scripture simply says, he is faithful. The one who calls you is faithful. And he will do it. Whatever his good pleasure. If you are obedient unto him. He will do it in your life. That which pleases him. And this is the surprising thing. If it pleases him. It overjoys you. It brings joy to your life. When you really please him the joy that takes place in your own heart and the gladness and the blessings that come forth from pleasing him. Now, understand this. The Bible is not meant to satisfy human curiosity. And a lot of people want the Bible to answer everything about God, and it doesn't. It doesn't. You couldn't write a book 
there wouldn't be enough room on earth to store the books if you were to write everything that is known about God. Or if God would give you that information. What do you do with all the time before we were ever created? The Bible was not written to satisfy our curiosity about God. It's meant to reveal God's plan and his work on our behalf. It's written to reveal God's plan for our life. How we are to be as Christians. How we are to be his children. How we are to function as his children. How we are to live as his children. And then his work in helping us to do that. Man in and of himself cannot live for God. It takes a work of God in our hearts and mind that we might be able to live for him and function in a manner that is pleasing to him. Oftentimes man comes up with, well, I'm going to serve God. But when you come up that you're going to serve God, you'll have your own list like the Pharisees. And if you can check those things off, you're doing well. And God is saying you're doing poorly. Because you have made an image of your own God. And now you're rubber stamping that upon God. Rather than saying, God... What do you want in my life? God, do whatever pleases you in my life. Lord, I am your workmanship. You're the potter, I'm the clay. Lord, fashion my life in a manner that is pleasing unto you. Because the Bible explains God's plan for redemption of man. It doesn't give us all the reasons why God planned it the way he planned it. God could have just zapped Jesus down here and bypassed the Virgin Mary, but he didn't do that. Jesus could have came as 33 years old and been out of here at 33 years old. God didn't do that. And oftentimes we argue more against what God didn't do rather than certain searching the scriptures to understand better of why God did do what he did. It's not meant to answer every profound question people have about God. The Bible isn't meant for that purpose. And yes, you can ask all the questions you want to ask. But you better be able to answer one at a certain time. Have you ever received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Yes. There's either a yes or a no to that. There's nothing in between. And that's God's plan. That you would receive his son. That he has given as an unspeakable gift to humanity. He's not, the Bible will not answer profound questions about God. It's to reveal God's love and his faithfulness 
to those who he gave life to. To those he gave life to. Christmas time is a time for us to reflect and to remember about the birth of Christ. But I want to take it a little further here now. To see the faithfulness of God. To see God working on our behalf. Christmas time, we miss seeing God's faithfulness to us in the birth of Jesus. Who came to seek and to save that which was lost. And the first thing that man has to deal with is this. Who said I was lost? I know where I'm at. I'm on planet Earth. I know where I live. 444 South 40th Path, Akron, Ohio. I'm not lost. But the amazing thing is this. It was not man who said you were lost. It was God. Says that you were lost. And what God is simply saying is this. You have lost your way in walking with me. You have lost your way with walking with me. Isn't it strange how when kids begin to grow, when you first go in the grocery store, you first go somewhere, they want to hold your hand. They want to hold your hand. They don't want to let go of it. They want to hang on to it. But somehow as they get a little older and mature, they don't want to hold your hand. But the problem is this. You're going this way and they want to go what? That way. And the child at that point has lost the direction or the way in which the parent is going. And we lost our way because we went a different way than which God was going. And whenever you go a different way in which God is going or God has planned for you, you have lost your way. You have lost your way. And he came to seek and to save those who were lost, who had wandered too far. Faith. Go back to Genesis chapter 3, 14 and 15. Because it talks about Jesus Christ. But it also is talking about the faithfulness of God. Of what God was going to do years down the road. Thousands of years is sharing something with us that God was going to do, but the only one who could do this would be God. So in 3, 14 and 15, it reads, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Now, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offsprings and hers. He will crush your head. Who is the he there? Jesus. Jesus will crush the head 
of Satan, that enemy. He will crush your head and you will spite his heel. And what God is promising is this, a Savior. Adam and Eve have sinned. And he's promising a Savior. You may have heard where those of the Old Testament were looking forward, those of Christianity were looking backwards, but we're both looking at the same thing, Calvary. We're both looking at the Lamb of God on the cross. One before it takes place, the other after it takes place. But we're both looking there. And in Galatians 4.4, 4, he simply says, in the fullness of time, in God's time, not man's time, I will send forth this Savior, born of a virgin under the law. But look how many years that was. Galatians all the way back to Genesis. Look from the New Testament when Jesus come all the way back to Genesis 3.15. Now I want to ask you a question. Do you see a faithful God keeping his promise? A faithful God keeping his promise. Look at faith or faithfulness or faithful. The primary meaning is to trust. Now stay with me for a moment. You listening to me? I'm going to be Charles Stanley now. <laughs> God sets this forth, this plan in action. He sets his plan forth. Now, the word faithfulness is used, or faith is used of a person who shows themselves faithful in their transaction of business. They're faithful. In other words, what they say and what they agree to, they're going to what? Do it and carry it out. That's faithfulness. That's faithfulness. They carry it out because they've committed themselves to it. Secondly, it is to execute a command. You give commands to those who are going to be faithful in carrying out your command. You don't never give a command to somebody that you know will not do it. <laughs> you won't put that trust in them. And thirdly, it's the discharge of official duties. And this was God carrying out a godly duty that no one else could perform. No one else could do. Nobody else could perform it. No one. Who would oversee this better than God himself, the salvation of man? Who would oversee it 
Who would bring it to pass? Who would perform it? But God himself. Go to Isaiah 40. Because here again, where people may want to ask questions and they might want to dive into it and, and, and they may want to search it out for themselves and so forth. But hear what God says. Hear what he says. In that verse 13 and 14, he says, boy, I'm sorry, go to verse uh, 25. I may be ahead of myself, but let's go there before we go to the other ones. Yeah, let's go this one first, 25. To whom will you compare me? Who do you compare God to? Who is God like? You can't find no one to compare him to. You won't find any his equal. You won't do that. And he asked the question, who do you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all this? He said, just look at creation. Who created this? Give me an answer. Did you do it? You already know the answer to that one, don't you? Who created all this? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them each by name. Can you name the stars? Best we can do is the North Star. But the thing is, God knows every star by name. I bet God in one sense rejoices. He's just rejoicing. Because for some of us, he says he knows all the hair upon your head, but not a hard job anymore for some of us. We made it a little bit easier for him. But he says he knows every hair upon our head. He does. He knows that. And who, who could better oversee this plan of salvation other than God and his faithfulness in this whole thing? Now, go to verse 13. Same chapter, 40. Look, look what he asked again. He says, who has understanding? Who has understood the mind of the Lord? Who could really say, why did God do this? And why did God do that? Why did God choose Abraham? Why did God pick a Moses? Why did God send a Joseph? Why did God do this? Why did God raise up an Isaiah? Why did God raise up a Jeremiah? Why did God do this? Why did God allow Herod to slaughter all those children under two years old? Why did God allow that? And we could question, and we can question, and we can question, or we can keep digging in and see what God did. And he says, Who has understood the mind of the Lord or instructed him as his counselor? If, if you knew that you could save a thousand people, what kind of plan would you come up with? 
If you had to save the world, what kind of plan would you come up with? Would you come up with a plan that would include sacrificing yourself? Or would you come up with a plan sacrificing somebody else? And God's plan was to give of himself. Was to give of himself. And he says, who instructed him as his counselor? Who did the Lord consult to enlighten him? Always good to get counsel, and he tells us, boy, that yes, there's safety in a multitude of counselors, and, and yes, as human beings, we need counseling. But who's going to counsel God? Who's omniscient? Who knows everything? Who's going to counsel him? And God says the wisdom of man in Corinthians, that is just foolishness unto him. And sometimes the way we speak, that's what it is, isn't it? It's just foolishness. And when you listen to some people, how they're going to conduct their lives and what they're planning and so forth, it's just outright foolishness. And you can say to them, that won't work. That's not going to work. That won't fly. And they're doing all they can do to make it work. And then they wonder why failure comes. Because it's not going to work. Because it's not by the plans of God. And as God says, you are to build. It is not built on a solid foundation. So it is going to fall. And he says, Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him a path of understanding? Who did that? What better person to execute this thing of the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ than God himself? And show himself faithful in this work. So in Isaiah 7.14 he talks about this virgin And we don't understand that. And we really don't know how that happened. But God is faithful in calling Mary and bringing forth the child, Emmanuel, into this world. That we might be saved. And he says, boy, he's going to do this through a, a virgin who will bring his son, Jesus Christ, into this world. Now, we can scratch our heads and everything and try to wonder, how did that happen? We can try to humanize it and everything, and we can't because it's still a mystery to us. It only tells us that the Holy Spirit overshadowed her, and we don't understand that. And we have to take it by faith. Now understand something about the Christian life. And this is what's difficult about the Christian life. And this is where it takes courage. You have to be courageous to be able to do this. We walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not our sight. We trust our sight more than we trust our faith. And it ought to be reversed where we are trusting 
in God. That's our faith. We, are, we don't have an empty faith. Our faith is in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're trusting him to bring to pass in our life what he wants to do in it. We're trusting him. Sister Shirley, she's trusted the Lord all these years. What kind of life would it have been if there would not have been faith? But we walk by faith. And yes, there's been some bumps in the road. There's been some hardships along the way. There's been some crying along the way. But have not lost faith of what God is able to do. And the process is to be able to develop that faith that you're able to trust God as Mary said. Let it be unto me as God has said. Let it be unto me as God has planned, as God so desires. A virgin, though I don't understand how this is going to happen. And we talked about the purpose of Elizabeth being a confirmation of what took place in Elizabeth's life that is going to take place now in Mary's life. Now, it's unexplainable. And that's what 2 Corinthians 9 tells us. This unspeakable gift, this unexplainable gift that is going to be given unto us in Jesus Christ. Unexplainable. We cannot express it. We cannot really say it in a manner that would allow us to really explain it. But in Isaiah 9, 6, it says again, For to us a child is born. For unto us a child is born. Unto us. But a purpose for that child being born. Go to Matthew 1, 21. Because there is a purpose. There is a purpose for each and every one of you sitting here. There is a purpose for which you were born. There is a purpose that God ordained specifically for you. Now you may not believe this. But when Aquin Alliance Fellowship needed a pianist. God ordained. Years before that this old gray-haired Caucasian lady would walk into this church from an ad in the newspaper saying, I want to apply for this job. (laughs) As we say, that's a divine appointment. God knows our beginning and our ending. And we are so blessed that it's ending with who? With us. With us. And she was born with a purpose. Not to save the world, but to tell the message of the world on a keyboard. And in song. 
For there's a purpose for each and every one of us in life. And in Matthew 1.21, he really states forth the purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will what? Save his people from their sins. He has a particular, a specific purpose in coming into this world. And God doesn't make a mistake. He has a specific purpose for you being born. In serving his kingdom. In serving his people. In ministering to people. Do you realize there's some people only you can reach? There's some people that you're the only one that they will listen to? And do you understand this? Some people will only see Jesus by how you demonstrate Jesus in front of them, where you work, where you shop, where you go. You might be the only real Jesus that they see. You have a purpose. And Jesus' purpose was to come into this world and to save his people from their sin. And he who knew no sin became what? Sin for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Do you see God's faithfulness to us? Now, again, he says, a son is given. 2 Corinthians 9, indescribable. We can't really describe how or why. All we can say is God loved us. God loves us. God loved us while we were yet what? In our sin. God loves us. But he demonstrates his faithfulness and his love for us through Jesus Christ in sending him to die on our behalf. Now, the government, it says, is on his shoulders. Boy, go to Isaiah 9 because he's going to pick up three titles here. And uh, it's amazing because we need all three. We need all three. A child is born? Yes, the first statement. For us, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, that unspeakable gift. And the government shall be on his shoulders. And he will be called... Oh, boy, if we don't need him. A wonderful counselor. Just have a little talk with Jesus. Before you act, before you do, before you make decisions, do you have a little talk with Jesus? He's a mighty good counselor. He'll guide you. He'll direct you. He'll lead you. Have that talk with him. Because he will be a counselor to you. You're never without a counselor. And as a Christian, 
I'm not saying you may not need a counselor or you shouldn't go to a counselor, but do Jesus before you do. Talk to Jesus. Hear him. Because he'll speak to you. May not be in that audible voice, but he will impress upon you. He will guide you. He'll take you to scripture. He'll have people come up and say things to you. Somehow God confirms and gets his message to us because he's concerned about us. Doing the right thing. Making the right decisions. He's concerned. And it says he is a wonderful counselor. And that he is. But we need to recognize that. That he really is a wonderful counselor. And it says he is a mighty God. Nothing impossible with him. There's nothing impossible with him. He is a mighty, mighty God. And we need to recognize that. That he is able to move mountains. And see, one of the faithfulness which causes Miss Shirley to be her age and still walking with the Lord and desires to serve the Lord is that down through the years that she has traveled, she has seen his what? Faithfulness. Which desires then the person to be what? Faithful. Is something that is caught more than even taught. You catch the faithfulness of God and then you surrender that faithfulness back to him. Because he is a mighty God in your life and he has moved some mountains in your life. He has done some things that nobody else is able to do. He is a mighty God in your life. And then... It says, boy, he will be that prince of peace. Have you ever just wanted peace? Have you ever just wanted peace? Have you ever just wanted to have somebody just calm your mind? Have you ever wanted somebody just come along and give you some... Eh, uh, assurance in this situation, assurance in the direction that you're going, assurance in this thing that you're doing. You need to understand he's an everlasting father who will be right there to do what? Counsel and talk with you. To counsel and talk with you. My son, I think Gus is about 44, 45. Hey. Mom does a better job than I do keeping up with ages. But every now and then, he'll call and he said, Dad, can I talk to you about something? Yeah. You're a grown man, but he still sees me as Dad. As father. Let me share something with you. As long as you have a father, use him. Because <laughs> one day you're going to look to be able to talk to someone and they will be 
But see, you have an everlasting Father that is always there. He's eternal. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's there. He's there to always comfort, always talk to. He's always there. He's an everlasting Father. He's right there. And we miss that sometime in the Christmas story. We miss the one behind the scene that putting all this together. We miss the one, God himself, who is performing and working on our behalf. We're missing the one who gave his son. We, we, we kind of like miss the one who tells him, Joseph, get up. Go down to Egypt. Joseph, get up. Come on back to Bethlehem. We kind of like forget the one behind the scene and how faithful he was in giving us the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. He's also known as the Prince of Peace. He gives us his peace. Go with me to Luke 2.14. Look what he says. Because today, the world needs peace. We are so divided, so tore up, so mixed up, we don't know what to do. And yet, we need to come to a place to just cry out to the Lord for peace, that his peace would rest upon us, that we would find favor with him. And he simply says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to men on whom his favor. Look at the selection now. On whom his favor rests upon. His favor don't rest on all men. But those who he came to seek and to save. His favor rests upon them. And if you want peace, you learn how to cast all your cares upon him who cares for you. Why? He wants you at peace. Understand this principle. When you are worried and you are frustrated and you are depressed, you're useless in the work of God. (laughs) At that point, you're doing nothing. Because you're so worried about who? Self. And he says, take all of your cares, all of your worries, all of your fears, and do what? Cast them upon him. And he'll give you the strength then to move forward no matter what your circumstances are. Your circumstances no longer control you. He controls you. That's a huge difference. And you have to make that choice. Will your circumstances control you or will the Holy Spirit control you? That's your choice. And he says, he gives peace to those whose favor is upon him. Now go over to John 14. Because the whole thing again, he leaves us with his peace for that we can do his work. Well, that we can function because he knows we can't function without peace. 
We can't function without a mind that is peaceful and not racing and running and troubled. So in 1427, he simply says this here. Peace I leave with you. My peace. Catch that. My peace. So when Christ was born and in that manger, God is sending us peace in the person of Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace. And he says, boy, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as what? The world gives you what? Peace. The world can't give his kind of peace. The world cannot give you a trouble-free mind. A world can't give you a mind with a certainty, absent from the body, present with the Lord. The world can't tell you it's building you a mansion and that is guaranteed and that is sure. But God said he has a place for you, a mansion he's built for you, a place where you're going to call home. It's going to be yours and you know one day you're going to be with him and you're going to see him with your own eyes and you're going to stand there before him and just see all his glory. And that gives you peace because you know that you're not destined to be here forever. But that you're going home. You have peace. And even peace in death. There's peace. Because there's no more toil. No more fighting. No more pain. No more suffering. There's a peace now. In the Christmas story, we see the faithfulness of God. And that's what I want you to see this Christmas. Not just a baby in a manger. I don't want you to miss the Savior, but I want you to see the one who gave the Savior. I want you to see his plan in bringing Christ into this world. I want you to see his plan of Christ dying on your behalf. I want you to see his plan of how you were going to receive the Holy Spirit. I want you to see his plan for your life, your life, your life. And understand this. He's faithful to his word. And because he's faithful to his word, he's faithful to you. Don't miss that during this Christmas season. Don't miss the one who's working behind the scene in a sense. But see his faithfulness in bringing it all to pass. See his beginning and his work throughout and his ending results. See that. And see how faithful he has been. One of the things that we should be able to say at every Christian's homegoing or celebration is this. God has been faithful to them. And be able to recall it. How faithful God has been. 
And one day we're going to talk about Sister Shirley and we're going to say how faithful God was to her. But we'll be able to say like Paul, I fought a good fight. I finished my race. And that she was faithful to the one who called her. And she finished her course. Amen? God is faithful. But he intends for each and every one of us to be faithful as he is faithful. If you're not faithful, get on board. See it. See how faithful God is to you. If you need to get some things straight, get them straight. If you need to do something, do it that you can be faithful unto your God and that you can serve him in faithfulness as he is faithful to you. Yes, I may fall seven times, but boy, because I'm saved, I'm getting up seven times. Why? Because he said that I would. He's faithful to me. He said that he'll never see the righteous forsaken or begging for bread. He's faithful unto me. He's faithful. This Christmas, when you see this Christmas story, see the faithfulness of God and his love for you and how faithful he's been. Amen?